an answer to some questions. And I think Daniel's been, you know, what's the reason for missions? Why am I a missionary? Um, and we can ask the question, where do I start? And maybe you've asked that question already and wrestled with that. And I think it's an important question to wrestle with because there's not an easy answer to that, I don't think. Might be a simple answer, but it's not always easy um, in our flesh. Who am I? And I'd like to, that question there, I was reading, we were actually studying for Sunday school a few weeks ago, and I got stuck on a passage that I don't think I'll totally speak to that whole, it's a long chapter, Matthew 13, but it's considered the second Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of, um, it's, it's about eight parables, I forget now exactly, but it's a bunch of parables on the kingdom. So if you read Matthew 13, um, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it goes down through. And if we put those in context of what Christ was saying, that really grabbed my heart. And it's how do we grapple with the kingdom? What is it? How do I tell people what it is? Well, if you ever want to know what the kingdom is, go read Matthew 13 and look at those different parables. And I want to look at a verse that's toward the end of the passage. It's not the end of the chapter, but I think the end comes a little bit before the end of the chapter break. And I want to look at a verse there and a verse at the, in the previous chapter. And I think it has to, it answers, depending on my decisions in life, it tells me who I am. So at the end of chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And then if we, then he goes into speaking the parable of the sower and the seed. And then there's a parable of the wheat and the tares and the mustard seed and leaven. And in the midst of that, Jesus explains them to his disciples. And then there's buried treasure, a pearl of great price, and the large net. <clears throat> and then the householder's treasure. And that's the verse I want to get to. Do we know, as believers and as disciples of Christ, do I know who I am? Do I know who I am? And I don't know that I'm going to answer that question, but maybe just a little bit. Um, and maybe make you curious so that you keep looking. But in thinking about the, the mystery of the kingdom, Jesus went from to teaching parables and said um, to, to use them to explain the mystery. And why was it a mystery? Why was it a mystery to them? He said that you are seeing things that the prophets long to see, right? They wanted to see this day. They knew that Christ was coming. 
But it was a mystery, I believe. Part of the reason it was a mystery is because it was something new. It didn't fit into how they had done things for a long time. And so he's saying, what is the method of establishment? This first parable, I think, number one, it speaks to the method of the establishment of the kingdom. How is the kingdom established? So as I go out the door here and I grapple with, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, if I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm following in his ways, he says, how my kingdom is established is that the seed gets spread. And if I look at it that way, it helps me decide on how to spend my life. The seed is spread, and it can fall on hard soil. There's times when God's word has fallen on hard soil. I haven't. The birds came and, you know, plucked it away, and I didn't get it until maybe God plowed up my ground a little bit, and the next time, then something sprang up. Um, but that's how the kingdom is established. The seed is good, and it's not the seed's problem if it doesn't sprout. You know, it's the problem of the soil that it fell on or the brambles that it fell amongst. And so as the kingdom is established, it is important. It's what's happening inside. That's what's important. We are going after the heart, after the soul of people. <clears throat> and I think that's where sometimes I've missed it. I say, you know what? If we can just get this job done, then that's the important thing. And I'm not talking about work per se, but just whatever we're about. But in the midst of that, we need to make sure that we are tending to hearts. Um, because the soil is so important, and the condition of the soil. So number one, its method of establishment is sowing the seed. And I had to think of that story, I think that Caleb shared about getting that one perfect picture or taking a lot of pictures. Go out and take a lot of pictures. Go out and spread the seed. We don't, we're not needing to be in control of saying, I've got to find one person that's going to accept it and it's going to grow and it's going to... We don't know who that person is. God sees the heart. We look on the outward. He gives discernment. God leads us. You know, he can say, he brings people across our path. He'll give us a word of guidance. Um, so God does all that, but we need to be um, spreading the seed and being sensitive to his Holy Spirit. So that's how the kingdom's established. And then get over to the wheat and the tares. And this is kind of showing some of the corruption that's, can we say it's in the kingdom? It's in the same field. And I've seen where, you know, we try to tear up some of the weeds and the wheat gets torn up with it. And the and the, it wilts and it's gone. There's damage that's done. Then in verse 30, Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The thing that I'm seeing here is I can let myself 
get lose heart because there's so many tears around. Oh, this is so terrible. You know, the, the world's gone to pot. You know, there's problems in the church. There's no, keep pressing forward. Jesus is going to take care of that at the end. I know I'm going through this very fast, but it wasn't, um, <clears throat> I want to get on to some other things. But just to give you an overview of this chapter, how the kingdom is established, its corruption, my response to that, Jesus deals with that. And then a mustard seed. The kingdom, it grows from within. And it has inward growth, and then it has outward growth. So there's both happening. And so sometimes we might not see the outward growth right away. But there's um, the inward growth, and then the outward growth comes. The kingdom of heaven, verse 31, is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. You can say this kingdom is so small. You know, what's happening? I'm, I'm all alone in my little corner. And then you come together in a weekend like this. Isn't that part of the blessing? We're sitting here, all the singing, and it's, we're enjoying it. We're saying, the kingdom's bigger than I was feeling that it was, right? There's more. But here, the mustard seed, he likens it to a mustard seed, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. I never really thought about this before, but how many little bubbles of gas are growing? When you mix leaven in, to yeast into flour, and then it starts growing. And I had my wife tell me this past week on the sourdough starter, don't tighten the lid in the fridge. It will kill the starter. And I was like, I didn't touch it. I don't know what happened to it. But, um, but we know that that stuff, it grows, and it can explode. You know, it's got power there. Now, most of the time in Scripture, leaven is likened to sin. Sin does the same thing. It kind of spreads quietly through if we let it go. But here he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And when it mixes through, you're not going to stop the growth that happens. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is like that. <clears throat> I had to think, too, that in marriage, if there's a love that is warm and there's a fire in that relationship, it gets noticed. There's, there's a power in that. This is sort of like that. The kingdom of God, God puts a seed in you that grows. God puts a seed in us. He puts a power, his own power in us, and it can't be stopped. That jar lid is going to pop. Something's going to give. That's what we have. That's who we are. That's what the kingdom is. <clears throat> so the kingdom, number three, it's inward and outward growth. Number four, buried treasure in 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, 
he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We can look at this two ways. With the kingdom of God, there's a condition for entrance to it. So number four is there's, this is the condition for entrance to it, and God did it first. He looked and he saw mankind and said, I'm willing to pay the price. I'm going to give all for mankind. And then for us to respond, to say, I'm willing, Lord, everything, everything in my life, I'm, I give that so that I can be a part of your family, your kingdom, the work that you have to be done, this power that's unstoppable. So the condition of entrance into it is sold out. I need to be totally sold out. Everything. If there's something in my life I say, you know what? I want to keep that property. I honestly don't want to move again. I've moved enough in my life, I think. But what if God thinks something different? Hold it with open hands, you know? <clears throat> Maybe I have a truck that I've fixed up and I like it. Hold it with open hands. What does God want to do with this? <clears throat> That's the condition of entrance into the kingdom. And then lastly, the large net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a final purification of the kingdom. There is a time coming when the kingdom will be purified. And so there's five points there. The method of the kingdom's establishment, the corruption, its out, inward and outward growth, the conditions of entrance into it, and its final purification. And then we get to a verse here in 52. And then he said unto them, Therefore every scribe, which is instructed. So what was a scribe? Anybody? Studied the law and preached to the people. Okay. Explained the law. Well, do we have an example in scripture? Like who did that? Nehemiah. Nehemiah did. Ezra is the one I was thinking of. It said Ezra was a ready scribe. So when he's talking to them, they knew what a scribe was. That made sense to them. And so he's saying, therefore, every scribe which is instructed under the kingdom of heaven. So, okay, so the scribes knew the law, right? That's the Old Testament. And he said, every scribe that is instructed under the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder. And this is, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So the scribes, their treasure was the Old Testament. They understood it, right? And they taught it. Do we know the Bible, the Old Testament, I think most of us here, 
maybe all of us, we can say, we've been taught a lot of things. If you come over to my house and we start telling stories, I might tell you a story from when I was, you know, 15. You know, memories that I have. Well, that happened a long time ago. That's sort of like the scribe talking about the Old Testament. These are things that happened. <clears throat> but this householder here, he says, if you are instructed under the kingdom, you bring out the treasure, out of your treasure, things both new and old. The old was the Old Testament. The scribes understood that. But he said, now I'm teaching you about the kingdom of heaven. The new, what was the new? He's talking about Jesus, about himself. The new covenant. We say this is part of the New Testament. There is a new thing coming forth. So if you come over to my house, I might tell you stories from when I was 15, which that's a long time ago. And I, I might tell you stories from this past week. I heard a story last night that, you know, when God's spirit comes and is moving among us, he stirs up things and he speaks things, right? And someone said, I have a great burden for someone else. And they prayed for them. And I said, you know what? God's spirit was moving. God's spirit was stirring things up. That's the new thing, right? That's what, and so you have those stories and you have the old. You have the stories of the kingdom. So in answer to the question, who am I? Who are you? As we've been here this weekend, you've been instructed, right? In the new. You can go now and you will pull out of your treasure things old and new for the world. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. The kingdom of heaven is that treasure. And we are like a person that pulls out and says, you know what? I, got, I bought this last year. Look at the deal that I got, you know. Um, it's this valuable, and I only paid $5 for it, and now it's worth $100. You know, things that we treasure. In the kingdom, you have a vast treasure. If you know God, you understand the kingdom. That's a treasure to take out. And so as you go home, I was thinking about this weekend, and, <clears throat> and how do we know? What do I do with what I've learned? Well, what's my understanding of the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Go to Matthew 13 and remind yourself, this is how the kingdom looks. And let's be spreading seed. Let's be allowing, um, let's be pressing forward, not discouraged with the difficulties and the impurity that we see. You know what? This life, we're not going to get away from all that. If we want things to be perfect here, we'll sit down and give up and in a heap of tears, you know. But we press on for the next step. Trusting there is going to be a final purification. We do long for that. It's sobering and it's exciting. There are conditions to enter into the kingdom. And they're, it's um, simple, but it's not easy. And the kingdom is powerful. There's a lot of growth. All right. <clears throat> Where do I start? I think we've heard, and answer, Daniel spoke to that, and Ryan, thank you for sharing, on the U.S. 
because that is where we start. We start at home. And I had to think we were, I went to a, at our um, local pregnancy center, they had a class on suicide. And Ryan was reading the statistics in the US. And since COVID, it has become even more alarming than it was before. And I should read back. That was a few months ago, and I don't remember. I know in Wyoming that Platte County has the highest rate. That's the county just north of us. But think about Wyoming. It has a lot of long roads with few people and isolation. And if someone is discouraged and lonely, there's a lot of lonely people in Wyoming. Um, people tend to go to suicide to, um, at higher rates than if you have family and friends around you. And even here in Cheyenne, some of the, um, the stories I hear, one of my friends here in town, his, I think it was his aunt, died in Greeley. And I think she was, it was a year or two until the family missed her. She was in her house and nobody knew it, that she was gone. You talk about lonely, not having anybody. We, we can hardly imagine that, right? We, we don't connect with that. We have family, we're busy, we go to work. We, there are people around us that, that we can touch just by showing up, you know? It's, um, maybe before I leave, I was going to share a story on sowing the seed. How many people are familiar? How many of you are familiar with the story of I met God on George Street? Okay, not a handful. And I did not refresh my memory, so I might have some of the details wrong. But George Street is a street in Australia. I don't remember the name of the, what's the capital? Sydney. It was in Sydney, right? Not in the capital, I think. But there's a man that committed, and do you remember how many tracks he committed to handing out every day? He had a number, and he committed to be faithful, handing out tracks. And it was to sailors. It's a seaport, and the sailors would come off the ship, and they'd be walking the streets. And so he had a lot of opportunity. He lived in a little apartment. <clears throat> and he'd go down to George Street and hand out tracks. Now, you fast forward a few years, and I think the mission conference was in England, or maybe Europe, but a number of the, I think what started it, a man shared his testimony from the podium of how he came to the Lord, and what started his journey was a man on George Street handed him a tract. And there was mission leaders and missionaries in the audience, and they're like, no, wait a minute. That's what happened to me, too. And so they all kind of got together and shared their stories. And they had that one thing in common. They received a tract on George Street in Australia. And so one of those men went and looked him up, and this man was on his deathbed. And um, he was no longer handing out tracts. 
But he found him and was able to talk with him before he passed away and to share with him what happened at that conference. Um, he didn't find out till, you know, a long time later. And so when God leads us to do something, inspires us, it's not for us to say, what will that do? How can that help the kingdom? But to take the next step and press into that. <clears throat> One thing I wanted to do, and we'll look at um, some video clips here. I wanted to introduce you to the Joshua Project. It is a, the goal of the Joshua Project is to put infra, current information in front of people so that they know, number one, how to pray. Number two, how to make decisions on priority. Where am I going to go to serve? What people group does not have a Bible yet? What people group does not have a church or an evangelical witness? Who doesn't have someone they can go to? And so Joshua Project to ask about the Lord. And so they, they have, um, I don't know what year they started. I, it's been a while. And they keep their, you know, updating um, their information as the years go by. And so I want to show you that and some of the videos that they've put together um, about the unreached, about the work that's to be done yet, and how one thing that hit me again as I looked at it is the, the power of multiplication and apply, thinking about that outreach in terms of that. And we can't control all that. You know, we say, well, no, we can't. But it might change the way we look at reaching out and seeking to befriend people and have interaction with them. Um, so, yeah, I'll plug it in here and we'll get, get that going. <clears throat> So there you can see Joshua Project bringing definition to the unfinished task. What is Joshua Project? What are unreached people groups? How does the Joshua Project bring definition? What does the Joshua Project provide? <clears throat> there you see an example page from their website. 
Here's another sample page, the Uyghur in China. <clears throat> How does Joshua Project highlight the unreached? Let's say you're thinking of a people or a region or progress level. You can search by any of those topics, status, religion, language, progress level, geographic, or peoples. And they have different various ways of highlighting the, the people groups. And if you get their, your, um, you can get the unreached people of the day either by email or by the app. Um, I have not. Um, the web widget is something, if you have a web page, you can connect that, <clears throat> attach that, so when people go to your page, they'll see um, the unreached people of the day, the focus. I have not listened to their podcast. I'm not familiar with that one. What is the ultimate goal? You were slain and purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Seventy four hundred people groups without a self sustaining indigenous movement. Out of seventeen thousand, I think, in the they figure seventeen thousand in the world, seventy four hundred do not have a self sustaining uh, indigenous movement. What they're talking about there is a church, a a um, move of God. It is a research initiative seeking to bring de definition to the unfinished task of the Great Commission by highlighting the ethnic people groups of the world that have least Christian presence in order to stimulate pioneer church planting movements in their midst to the end that there will be worshipers before the Lord's throne from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Okay. <clears throat> looks different than the app, and so I get a little, okay. Well, if I had it up here before, now it disappeared on me. <clears throat> Yeah, it's that symbol, but it's a different color. Oh, well, maybe it's. No, it's the web page. Yeah. Did you see it there? That's the same one, isn't it? It looks like that, but I think it has some red in it. 
just switch. Yeah, I could. Okay, now we're good. Okay, resources, here we got the videos. <clears throat> so here you see joshuaproject.net. You can click on, you can search by, for people groups by those different categories. They got resources here, I'm on videos. <clears throat> You got different ways to get the unreached of the day. How can I get involved? So we'll go back here to resources and videos. And the first one I wanted to watch is the cry of the unreached. This is just kind of a um, thinking about the cry of the heart. We've heard that already. a sound. Can you hear it? It searches, searches for those that will listen. Drifting, distant, desperate. It whispers in the ears of those that believe. It shouts in the streets, straining to be heard through the overwhelming noise. Can you hear us? The collective cry of fallen humanity, devoid of a savior. Centuries have passed without hope. We live here, hidden in the far away places. Our lands, strange. Our culture, a mystery. Our hearts, empty. Our people cling to anything that resembles truth. But what we seek remains out of reach. Our brutal spirits on the edge of breaking. Our prayers unanswered. Our gods stay silent. We are the never reached. We are still waiting. We hear a sound. It echoes in our ears. It wakes us in our sleep. A voice in the wilderness. A message 2,000 years old, a final command, go. A simple but profound directive from a saving God. With our victory assured, we journey to the ends of the earth. We climb mountains, trekked through jungles, landed on forgotten islands, searching. Many have received, but far too many still remain. Too many haven't heard. Too many don't know. This unfinished task is our urgent kingdom mission. Chosen, seen, heard, called. Can you hear them? Nations, cities, tribes, people. They are the never reached. They've waited long enough. There is a 
And the state of the world is one that um, kind of talks about the percentages of the need. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C, C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now onto missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right, the vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything, Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that 700 billion given to all Christian causes, only 45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. 
That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. Two billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? So when we look at some of that information, it helps. We can, it can help us make decisions of how we will spend our money. Where's my... look at one here that said what is an unreached people group I know that's been talked about a little bit just to ponder that a little more it's <clears throat> pioneers I think it's the one up here yeah there's two of them I was looking for the other one here we go What is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group, but to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, oh, we meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word. But ethnically, Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations, or people groups, within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs, or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude, stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window, it's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, 
Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. So, when we use the phrase, the great imbalance, what are we talking about? Let's start with the basics, the Great Commission. When the resurrected Christ stood on the side of a mountain in Galilee and said, go, make disciples of all nations, it wasn't a suggestion, it was a commandment. Jesus even promised that before he comes back, we will accomplish his commission. So we're talking about the most important mission in the world. Now, Today on planet Earth, there are 7.75 billion people. And of those 7.75 billion people, over 3 billion of those people are unreached, meaning they have zero access to the gospel. Most of them will be born, live, and die without ever hearing about Jesus. That's around 40% of the world's population. We break the whole population down into people groups. These are groups that share language, culture, tribe, etc. Every single people group can be put in one of two categories, reached or unreached. And the Great Commission involves taking the number of unreached people groups to zero. Now, in order to accomplish any task, it takes determination, a plan, and resources. But this is where you'll find the great imbalance. Today, there are hundreds of millions of Christ followers in the world. These are people who understand and want the Great Commission to be accomplished. That's you, me, every Bible-believing church you've ever heard of. These believers donate hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars to their churches around the world. This money goes to pay for things like electricity, food, water, staff, missions, even things like handbells, I mean everything. And of the hundreds of billions of dollars given to the church, roughly $47 billion is already allocated to missions to the nations. But we don't just give money. Around 400,000 people are working as missionaries to the nations. But here's where it all starts to fall apart. Remember our two groups, reached and unreached? Of these missions, resources, people, money, already specifically set aside for missions to the nations, only 1% of the money and 3% of the missionaries go to take the gospel to unreached people in the world. That means 99% of our mission's money and 97% of our missionaries are going to people that already have the gospel. This 
is the great imbalance. And with the world's population growing at the rate it is now, every day we're losing more ground than we gain. This is why the global church needs a new perspective on how and where we spend our resources if we want to truly obey the Great Commission. Would you rather be given $1 million or one penny doubled every day for 30 days? You remember this question from math class, right? This is when we all learned the power of compound interest and exponential growth. At the end of 30 days, that doubled penny becomes just over $5 million. Turns out, the same concept applies to missions. Imagine you filled a football stadium with 100,000 people for a gospel outreach event and 20% of them came to know Christ. That day, 20,000 people would come into the kingdom. If you did that every day for a year, over 7 million people would come to faith. That sounds pretty great, right? Here's the question though. If you kept that pace of 7 million people each year, how long would it take to reach the world's population of 8 billion people? Over 1,000 years, 1,095 to be exact. A 100,000-person outreach event every day for a 1,000 years? From a pure numbers standpoint, mass evangelism will not reach the world for Christ in our lifetime. What about a different strategy inspired by that original math problem? Instead of preaching to 100,000 people every day, suppose you made one disciple each year, focused on their development, and equipped them to make their own new disciple every year. At the end of the first year, you would have two followers of Jesus, you and your disciple. At the end of the second year, you would have four, eight the third year, 16 the fourth, and so on, 32, 64, 128. How many years would it take to disciple the world using this strategy? 34 years. Do the math. Something profound happens when we take a multiplication mindset. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He continues by instructing us to teach those disciples to obey everything he commanded us. What was his final command? Go and make disciples. So our role is to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples. We're to go to all nations and make disciple-making disciples. That's multiplication. Reach the few in order to reach the many. What if you didn't feel the burden to preach to an entire village or city or country, but instead were faithful to the simple multiplication principles of the Great Commission? The entire world could be discipled in our generation if we started with just one. What about you? How might God want you to be involved in making disciples that make disciples and seeing movements of Jesus among every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Would you rather fill a stadium every day for the next thousand years or commit to making one disciple this year? Let's do this together until all have heard, starting with discipling one. So, who's your one?
turn that off. Parker, do you want to turn it off? <clears throat> All right. Some challenges there to the way we think about things, isn't it? And some good information. So who's, who will be your one? That's, that's a question I'll go home with also. Who will be your one? Well, any thoughts any, as we close out here, as you watch those or from the message this morning? <clears throat> any questions that we all can be pondering? Everybody's ready for supper. <laughs> well, Marlon, I'll turn it over to you. Do you have anything, announcements, or? Okay. Is supper at five? Okay. All right, well, let's stand for prayer. We'll dismiss for supper. <clears throat> Father, we, um, have seen a lot of information here and challenges to our way of thinking and I pray for your wisdom. Give each one of us wisdom as we think on fulfilling your call on our lives. And Lord, I pray that each one of us may not give up because it seems so big, but trust you to show us the next step. It's like walking with a flashlight. We can see the next step. And may we do that and not forget, not be a forgetful here, not to turn away from the mirror and, and go. And, but Father, I pray that there will be changes stemming from what we have heard and learned this weekend. And an understanding and wisdom, may we walk in your paths, may we run in your paths um, and not hesitate. Thank you for this and for um, this time to see your heart for all people, not just for us, not just for our friends, but for all people. We do thank you for safety this weekend and travel, and we thank you for giving us our daily bread for this food. Pray you um, strengthen each one of us and those that are fighting illness, continue to heal and strengthen and We thank you so much and bless, also bless um, Daniel's family at home and keep them in your care as he has a few days away yet and needs to travel home. May you see him safely home also and may the churches in Ghana prosper and give him wisdom as he leads there. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, you are dismissed.